Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Welcome to Game Free Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is the podcast where we challenge the sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. And if you want to hear our bonus episode where we talk about the Avril Lavigne conspiracy theories, you can do so at patreon.com slash name three songs. So, Sarah, what are we talking about today? Well, in the theme of conspiracy theories, <laughs> this week we are talking about industry plants. And this is brought to you by TikTok's favorite band to hate, the Tramp Stamps, only partially. But basically, there's been a lot of drama going around in the TikTok sphere about this quote unquote pop punk band called Tramp Stamps. And this has created a discourse around the idea of industry plants. And I feel like there have been a lot of people speaking about a conspiracy theory that is laced in misogyny and a way to invalidate females' talent in the world of music by discrediting females who did something bad. The industry plant discourse is a very slippery slope. And so we thought that it would be a good idea to discuss this and the good and bad side of what actually it means to be industry backed, because that's really all it's about. And today we're joined by a special guest named Amanda Silberling. Amanda is a Philadelphia-based multimedia journalist. She's written about music for NPR, MTV, AudioFam, Consequences Sound, and others. She directed and produced a documentary called We're Here, We're Present, Women in Punk, which premiered on Vice's Noisy and screened internationally at Cineteca Madrid. She also hosts a podcast called Wow If True, a show about internet culture and virality. So we're really excited to get into it. And without further ado, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I am happy to be here. We're so glad we could kind of connect at the perfect time of this is a very hot topic right now. And you had reached out to us just as we were wanting to talk about this. So kind of perfect connection here. So to kick things off, I'm going to read kind of like a definition uh, there's lots of definitions of, of industry plants. There's really no one agreed upon thing. So I'm going to start it off and then we'll kind of like share our reactions. A 2019 article in the Chicago Reader by Lior Gilil. And this person writes that it works more or less like a label or anyone with deep pockets plucks an act out of obscurity, invests time and resources to develop them, and then reaps the benefits when they finally release a song or album and it rockets to the top of the charts. If you're thinking this sounds a lot like how labels ordinarily operate, well, even the people who believe in industry plants agree with you. It's really funny to me that this terminology came to be in like the 2010s, like the early 2010s to sort of discredit some rappers. And like from the it, the inception of the music industry, people were plucking up talented youngsters to sort of mold. I mean, if you think about like, we've talked about Phil Spector in the past and how he would sort of just have the name of, of a band. And then if the real lead singer wasn't around, he just find another random girl to like sing 
her part. So I feel like this has been something that's always been going around. I mean, like we have boy bands, we have all of these different artists. We have Britney Spears. We have like every pop star who sort of was nothing and now is someone and you don't know their struggles or whatever unless they're interviewed about said struggles. But I think it's just like with the internet age, DIY became something that was way more prevalent and something that people were acknowledging more. And so I think that that's when, at least from my perspective, people started being like, is this bad? But I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously my brain off is going to go directly to Josie and the Pussycats because that's well, what I was going to say. Even just reading this, reading this kind of like definition, I was like, this is literally the plot of Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It literally is because like that's that thing is it's like oh they look like a band let's make them a band and I think that that's what a lot of people think of when they think of industry plants is it's like especially people who have little to no knowledge of music industry stuff and they're just sort of glomming on to internet jargon they're like okay like these people look like they should be in a band they're gonna be a band and then they're successful straight away which is like the Josie thing where it's like they're signed next thing you know there's a huge poster of them in Times Square (laughs) which like does happen sometimes in real life so I feel like there's a lot to unpack here I don't know what your guys <laughs> thoughts are well I find it really interesting that this term resurfaced like as the internet was becoming more popular and how mm-hmm. with DIY artists on the internet like I think with platforms like Bandcamp there are so many ways that artists are able to get discovered now that mm-hmm. exist outside of the like model of getting in touch with a ma- major label and having a whole PR team behind you and I think in certain scenes particularly in like punk DIY scenes, fans really like these stories of you find somebody on Bandcamp and you really like their music. And then you watch as they get bigger and bigger, like someone like Alex G who put so many Bandcamp records out and then suddenly he's signed to Domino and that's like a success story. But then at the same time, I think in some ways there's some double standards that we'll get into in terms of like, it's so much harder to make it big as a DIY artist. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't necessarily blame people for if you have industry contacts, like use them. But it's definitely interesting to think about the role of the internet in deciding when is it cool to be an industry plant? When is it not cool? (laughs) That's kind of perfectly what you just said there of like, when is it cool? Because like, I think prior to industry plants, we kind of had sellouts, right? And this was like the 90s, like punk version of industry plant. And continuing on uh, the Chicago Reader article, Lior says, it's basically a conspiracy theory devised by skeptical fans to explain an artist's sudden success. And it's been used to discredit just about every rising musician who's attracted those fans. Similar language across the the 90s used to describe secret sellouts in the punk scene though in those cases sometimes a corporation really was surreptitiously involved and then they go on to say but selling out has since lost kind of its sting because once physical media sales started to tank more and more bands had to take whatever money they could get in whatever form it came from so to your point that makes a lot of sense it's like with the age of the internet especially with streaming it's a lot harder to make it as a completely independent, completely DIY artist. There's also just, since you mentioned sellouts really quickly, like I just remember within like the pop punk internet world of like the mid 
early 2000s when All Time Low got signed to, I want to say Interscope, I think one of those sort of That was their dirty work record. Yeah. And like, it was just that thing of like being a sellout was like a lore of the internet, I feel like, at least from my perspective, like it wasn't something that really happened. And then All Time Low did that. And then they did that music video where I think they were trying to make fun of the fact that they were selling out. But us as All Time Low fans were like, every single part of this video is like you making fun of people who are on sister labels to the label you just got signed to. And so I think that there was that sort of thing where, and this is the thing with industry plants is that industry plants try and create that illusion of starting from nothing and getting success. Whereas like All Time Low actually had started from nothing. And then when they got the success, the label fully took control of that. So their sound changed and a lot of stuff changed in a different way than I think any of us were expecting. And I think a lot of us were kind of disillusioned by that. So I feel like it's interesting in the conjecture of industry plants is industry plants are trying to seem like they did the all-time low thing but their music is like authentic from the start whereas sometimes when artists do start from nothing and then get signed they change to try and fit with quote-unquote what the label wants and like make their music like more poppy or more digestible to the general public so I think it's quite interesting how the two sort of feel similar but also are vastly different ideas. I feel like there's a long history of artists making fun of themselves for selling out and trying to work with the logic of like, oh, well, if we acknowledge that we sold out, then it's okay. Like there's this Who album that I discovered recently, which it came out in 1967 called The Who Sell Out, which is the who selling out, so to speak. (laughs) And the album cover is like, they're posing in like, a bathtub filled with Heinz baked beans. And then they have a song on the album called Heinz baked beans. And like the whole album is like a concept album where it's supposed to be like a pirate radio station. And they have all these like fake advertisements playing throughout the record. It's literally Josie and the Pussycats. I mean, I feel like that worked also because it was like 1967. So like this hadn't really been done before. And I think they took the bit so far that like, I think sometimes with stuff like this, the further you take the bit, the more successful it is. I mean, I'm not really sure how fans reacted to that album at the time, but I just think it's a great album cover. If you haven't (laughs) seen that album cover, look it up. It's great. Kind of going off that, there's a 2020 article in Complex by Grant Reidner called What is an Industry Plant? So, I mean, clearly this has been like a very catchy term as of late and he interviews basically a bunch of different people, both musicians who have been called industry plants and people who work on the industry side of things. And I think one of these quotes is really interesting from this music writer, Cherry Hu, who focuses a lot on kind of music tech and globalization type stuff. And she says basically that the artist has to deliberately be downplaying or outright denying the significant backing they have to really warrant being called a plant. And she says, quote, I've heard a lot of people use the phrase to describe artists who have really good connections in the music industry. Their parents know the main guy at some top 40 radio station or the person at a label who oversees A&R. A lot of people will see those kinds of artists as industry plants, but I would not characterize them as that. And just like going on to explain that like, it's this disillusionment, right? Of essentially somebody pretending like they had this organic growth when they Mm -hmm. really didn't. Yeah. And I I think that this is where it comes into like, I know that I mentioned that a lot of the times the discourse around industry plants has been around sort of like the rap field of music, but also it very much like when used in the indie sphere is very much so used to discredit female artists. And it's not used to focus on like, oh, this person's pretending to have come from nothing. Because I mean, in regards to female artists, like here's just a list 
of some who have been like referred to as industry plants when like they've never done anything to make the actual meaning work for them. So it's like Lord, Claro, Lana Del Rey, Billie Eilish. Halsey like, even. Yeah, Halsey even. Like there's rumors about all of these people and it's like, okay, for a lot of them, it doesn't make sense. And it's that frustrating thing of it's like, especially with Lana Del Rey, when a lot of people think that she is like the perfect example of an industry plant, it's like Lana Del Rey and like, I'm not an Alana Del Rey apologist to like any (laughs) any degree but it is that thing where Lana Del Rey came from wealth and her parents sort of got rid of her by sending her to boarding school she tried to distance herself from that was always into music had minimal connections there and kept trying like she would perform at open mic nights she would do everything you're supposed to do but this is the thing it's like if you're a solo artist a lot of the times you do just go play like at Rockwood Music Hall in New York City and just hope that an A&R person finds you and is like there's something there and they sign you especially at that time like that's what you do to succeed because you want a label backing you you don't want to like a lot of people don't want to deal with like the nitty-gritty of the DIY world you know yeah and so it's that thing where it turned her honestly like pretty impressive backing story of like oh she had all these projects that didn't work until she found her niche found like the name that suited her and all these things and it turns it into this like nefarious thing of like oh like this woman from money like for tending to be something she's not like yes she did do that but also that's just who she is I feel like like Jenna like you and I've done so much research on her where it's just like she it's like yes it's a it's a questionable choices that she made for sure but that doesn't make her nefarious or like this industry plant or somebody trying to disturb the music industry just by getting success yeah so I mean like I think the main issue with me and like Lana Del Rey's story I wouldn't consider her an industry plant I would just consider her an artist who rebranded once she got a label backing like yeah that's totally normal and chill because to me industry plant is like somebody who like they literally just found they're molding them in every possible way and saying you're gonna sing these songs and literally just like using them as a front to like sing these songs in order to make money which like justin bieber <laughs> yeah i mean like there's people you could like potentially say this happened to but to another degree it's like even if that's true those artists are not going to be successful unless they have the raw talent like because mm-hmm. people are going to be able to tell the difference you know like the number one charting artist your number one favorite artist is not going to be an actual like fake industry plan just because like you'll be able to see that authenticity I mean, when we talk about artists rebranding, I think social media also makes it so much easier for people to like go back and dig and be like, what was Lana Del Rey posting in like 2004? But then that also sort of operates under the assumption that we are putting our most authentic selves on social media, which we all know is not really true. That's also super valid. (laughs) And it's like, if you want to dye your hair, that's cool. I don't know. I mean, I feel like we literally, like everything we're saying that these artists that we respect to some degree did correctly, the tramp steps did wrong. And this (laughs) is why we are here today. Because there has been a ton of discourse on TikTok and leaving TikTok, going to like well-known websites. I mean, like Jezebel's written about this, Rolling Stone's written about this, like literally everyone has written about what's going on. And for those of you who aren't on TikTok or haven't been paying attention, basically this quote unquote girl pop punk band appears on the For You page 
of TikTok. And they have this song that sounds very pop punk, but they look like they're wearing Party City costumes. Uh, of like of of what somebody would assume pop punk starter pack <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> pop, like literally this is what I'm imagining I'm setting the scene the year is 2008 you and your friends have just discovered all-time low you want to dress up <laughs> as the girl version of them for Halloween you go to party city and there is a, the pack with the color hair wigs and fishnets to wear under your like tank top that's what's happening here and so at least for me I'm scrolling through my for your page this comes up and I see this video and I'm like this has to be a joke I genuinely thought like oh this is like a pop trio who's like realized that like e-girls are in and they're trying to like be like oh this is what it'd be like if we started a pop punk band and then I go to their fucking page and their whole page is them trying to prove that they're a pop punk band and like every video is this lead singer doing the very like affected like Tom DeLong voice of like a pop punk singer it's like she watched like a pop punk 101 class on YouTube and was like got it I'm good and so I just was like this is weird and I just sort of kept scrolling and like ignored it I was like that was a weird side quest you know and then I pick up the app like three hours later and every single video on my for you page is people yelling about this band being in industry plans and it just sort of continues from there of like the discourse of like oh they're industry plans but at least 50% of the videos were very much like go back to target like put your Uggs back on like go buy your pumpkin spice and it's like why did the discourse have to be misogynistic when it could have just been like constructive criticism with purpose so there is this one guy whose username on there is emo joseph and he did like a pretty good job of explaining what was going on sort of being like hey there are pop punk bands that are girls there are these people who are like trying hard to like make things work i saw a video by at sage haley official who was basically pointing out that one of the things that people didn't like about tramp stamps was that it felt like they were saying like, we're the only all girl pop punk band and it makes us so unique because we are women. And this TikTok was basically showing like, there are so many really great women artists in the scene and saying that you're the only all women pop punk group discredits the people that should be your peers and it kind of goes against the whole ethos of like they're trying to portray themselves as being like super feminist but then they're like inherently erasing all this work done by other women and that puts a bad taste in my mouth snaps snaps for that <laughs> there was that other thing where they in their youtube bio because um Dave fantano did a youtube video about this and he read tramp stamps youtube bio which was very clearly made by a pr team what have you and the guitarist caroline was basically like nobody's ever done this before <laughs> like she literally said those exact words and it's that thing of like them sort of commodifying that riot girl idea which is already can be seen as very like white feminist problematic to some degree and so there's so many different facets to it but I think it's that same thing of they very much tick the box of like trying to look like they are in fact DIY started from scratch don't have any connections and then you do like the slightest google search and they were all signed to labels as songwriters they all have these connections which again as we said in the beginning like there's no issue with a little bit of nepotism because most (laughs) people do get success from that like 
this isn't music, but I, I've mentioned, I said this to Jenna earlier, but it's like Jack Whitehall, who's a very famous British comedian and comedic like show writer. His dad is a famous agent. And so he already has these connections, but it's like his dad isn't like Johnny Depp. His dad's not Brad Pitt, you know? So it's not like, oh, here's Brad Pitt bringing his kid to the show being like, here you go. It's like somebody has friends so they can help their already talented child have success. Whereas there are scenarios where there are celebrities with like mediocrely talented children who are just attractive. So then they have like model careers or something because of who their mom or dad is. And then there are those people who are like a ring lower, like a level lower, and they still sort of are planted in the industry to a degree, but they do have like raw talent. Like Jenna was saying earlier in the music discourse, Whereas like with tramp stamps, they kind of like, we don't know who they are because they're working, doing stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. And there are artists like in history who have been sort of created by songwriters becoming friends and being like, we haven't had success on our own, but maybe if the three of us team up or like four of us team up, like we can do something bigger, do something more. Whereas tramp stamps just sort of went the wrong route. Cause like if they had gone the route of doing pop music or disco or yeah just... why couldn't they just be like a pop trio yeah like a pop rock trio <laughs> it's honestly just like the aesthetic that pushes it over the edge and makes it seem like they're trying so hard to fit into the scene that they're clearly not a part of I actually don't have TikTok, which is wild given that like I write about the internet but I just feel like if I had a TikTok my entire life would become consumed by TikTok. So I like exclusively look at TikTok on like desktop, like tiktok.com slash. But the dedication um, for that is honestly impressive. <laughs> I, one of these days I'm just going to cave, but I found out about Tramp Stamps because I think it was the band camp editor, Jess Skolnick posted on Twitter, retweeting something somebody else posted. That was a video of Tramp Stamps cover of Beverly Hills by Weezer. Mm-hmm. And there was like a spoken word part where they were like ghosts are real and you should be afraid of the dark they should have taught us to do our taxes in high school it feels like it was written by a robot and like (laughs) a hodgepodge of like popular tumblr text posts from like 2011 and then being a consumer of the internet then i have to ask myself like why am i making fun of these people like Mm -hmm. why does it matter to me that these random three people on the internet are being kind of cringy does it make me feel good about myself to be like haha I'm not that cringy but then I think the real like nail in the coffin for tramp stamps is that the further you look into them and the further you look into their backgrounds about whether or not they're an industry plant you discover that two of them are signed to Dr. Luke's publishing company prescription and I feel like I'm naive for this, but I didn't realize how many popular artists still have very strong ties to Dr. Luke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he produced Say So by Doja Cat. Yeah. And there's a quote from this Vox article by Rebecca Jennings that said, by far the biggest critique of the band, however, has been centered around its alleged inauthenticity, which I'd argue is a much graver transgression for young fans than a past tweet or associations with problematic figures. Doja Cat, Kim Petras, Dua Lipa, and Sweetie have all worked with Dr. Luke, for instance. And it's kind of wild to me that the Dr. Luke stuff almost doesn't really seem like something that people are paying a ton of attention to or something that has been a detriment to other artists. 
And I don't know, it just made me feel like there's so much discourse about like cancel culture and like, are people being canceled when they shouldn't be? And is this ruining people's careers because of political correctness? But it's like, Dr. Luke still has a career. Cancel culture is not a thing. He is a white man with money. (laughs) Yep. If you're a white man with money, you can truly do anything. (laughs) I mean, yeah, the Dr. Luke stuff is really interesting because I actually did some research into Prescription Songs, his publishing company, which he started in like 2008 or nine, because it's ran by like three women. And they they recently did like a big interview with Billboard. Like it was a pretty hefty feature. And they talked about the controversy with like the court case with Kesha and Dr. Luke and all that. But I mean, like the women that are basically running this company they're like yeah we work with him sometimes but like we also have free reign to do what we want sign who we want and so they've said like within the actual company itself and the writers they sign there's like a really positive environment so yeah I, I mean I don't I don't know it's it's one of those things where it's like I mean could be like the songwriters they're signing aren't you know really directly even working with Dr. Luke but it still is that weird like tie where you're like I don't know how to feel about this. I think that like the the icky thing about that still, even if like he has nothing to do with it or like has very little to do with it anymore, is like his name is still like on the box. So it's like you're not getting this thing and Dr. Luke's name isn't connected to it in any way. So even if he's not in the room or has never even met like Doja Cat, you know, he still has like that connection there and they're still sort of using his name as like a look who we work with sort of thing Mm -hmm. um so i think that that's sort of also where it makes it feel kind of like like if you're so adamantly like in this thing being like oh like he barely has anything to do with it it's like okay so then buy him out (laughs) like (laughs) get rid of him you know because like there's three of you you probably could do it if you wanted to i was also when all this was going down i was doing like that whole thing where you look at all their instagrams and like you scroll down and all that and like just i got too deep into the trance Sam's discourse. (laughs) But I was looking at Prescription Songs' Instagram and they were posting stuff for like Women's Month and like highlighting their women executives, which it genuinely is really amazing that women are running this company and in such positions of power because that's not the norm in the music industry. But then it was literally like Women's History Month post three days later screenshot of an article that says Dr. Luke's prescription songs blah 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 and it was an article about like they're the first publishing company to accept bitcoin or like yeah something yeah. silly like that and it's just like you are really flaunting the Dr. Luke thing yeah it's just that thing where his name to the layman was not known really until the whole Kesha debacle so I think the fact that you're still putting his name up there especially in articles that aren't necessarily just going out to the industry I think is kind of a weird choice because most normal people who would click on a link are probably aware of him because of what happened with Kesha so I feel like it's a it's a weird choice to sort of flaunt an alleged abuser to that degree but I don't know I feel like (laughs) there's just like so much to unpack there and I think it's also frustrating that this Tramp Stamps song I Want to Die that like sort of took off also was laced with lyrics that were very like misandry yeah misandry very almost coercion like yeah like almost assault you know to a degree because it's like the number one like the first chorus has a whole like I'd rather die than hook up with another straight white guy which then it's like these are three women who at least two of them are straight one of them is married to a white man but that number one like fetishizes everything that's not a straight white man like it's just uncomfortable and there are other 
words and things that could have worked with the same time count sort of thing. And then in the second chorus with the whole thing about like how he can't get it up, blames it on alcohol, whatever. And it's just very like rapey to put it blunt. And so I think that there was just like this very uncomfortable thing of they were trying so hard to fit within that mold of like the punk idea that they sort of took it too far and made it uncomfortable. And it's just a lot going on where it's like, number one, like people are going to do research on anything, especially when you do something questionable. And then it's like, oh, you're connected to an alleged sexual assaulter and you're writing songs like this. And I don't know, there's just like so much to unpack. And it's so frustrating because so many times, as I already said, like the term industry plant is used to discredit female artists. And I feel like they in doing this sort of took us like five steps back in the walk towards avoiding this language when speaking about women. Like that Anthony Fantano video, he criticized them in such a way where he just was criticizing an artist. And I think that that was very nice after reading a lot of things that were very much laced in misogyny about what they were doing because I again like I'm not trying to apologize for somebody doing something stupid or like stand up for them but it is just frustrating when they did so many things wrong for a lot of the discourse to be focused on very like feminine attributes of what they were doing I also just like going back to the lyrics I think it's one of those things where it's like they clearly have not spent a lot of time within like feminist conversations it's kind of like they were watching it from afar and they were like ooh, it's popular to hate men let's do that and it's like th- like you just said like this is not actually helpful to like feminist conversations this is like the man hating side of it which is not it but it feels like they're trying so hard and like they they don't really know about this topic and they're not they're not good at speaking on it <laughs> Yeah, it also reminds me of like, this is kind of a deep cut, which I only know because Girlpool is one of my favorite bands. And on their first EP, which came out in like 2014, they had a song with a lyric that said, I'll never know what it means to be a man who is white because he never has to fight. And then within a couple years, when they performed that song, they changed the lyrics to be I don't know what it's like to be anybody else but me. And at the Mm -hmm. time I was like 18 and I was like, why did they change that lyric? Like, are Mm -hmm. they like chickening out of making a statement? But then like, as I got older and I thought about that, I was like, oh, they changed that lyric because it's not really fair to say that white men never have to fight. Like, what about trans white men? What about queer white men? What about white men coming from low income backgrounds, trying to like make it in industries where having money is a huge boost to your ability to like get a job like Mm -hmm. I mean it's really easy to be like haha straight white men suck but I think it is actually reductive to ignore the fact that like not every straight white man is the same and there are so many ways that people are oppressed by society and I really respect Girlpool for like understanding that and being able to go back and change those lyrics and I think it's a good thing that like they wrote that song when they were like 17 18 and then they had had the ability to change it. And I think that that's really cool of them. Well, I I think that that's a good example because I think that there is all that discourse around like, oh, like white men, like whatever. Cause I mean, there it's that whole conversation of it's like, we know it's not all men, but like enough are a problem. And I, and I think it's just that thing of just being very aware of your language. And I think also just 
in doing the research on the women who are in tramp stamps it's like they have had successful careers writing songs already like why do they not put in fucking effort for this band like what was the point of it other than i guess to just get clicks but i mean i would think that this would be a smudge on your permanent record you know like not not something bigger than a smudge like a whole ass coffee stain you know like not something you can get rid of that easily like i feel like this is going to plague them to some extent for like at least a couple of years and i feel like again with their background like there there were other options <laughs> like they they should have known better than to like write something this like flippant if like that's the right word because I, I just feel like in doing any research or paying any attention to like the Gen Z model that they were trying to attract to you know how like well spoken this quote-unquote like TikTok generation is because that's what they were trying to cater to is like the woke kids on TikTok. And so showing up there with this discourse that has nothing to do with the discourse that's going on on the like side of TikTok they're trying to appeal to. It was just very tone deaf and very frustrating, I think, because again, (laughs) you just keep bringing it back to it. Like it just makes the industry plant conversation something more nefarious again. And I feel like that will going back in time um, and creating bigger issues in the longer extent of things because I feel like a lot of times recently when people call someone an industry plant a la Billie Eilish or something most people will show up in the comments and be like are you fucking paying attention like just because her brother helps write her songs doesn't take away her skill set or what's going on here and it's the same thing of it's like okay yes unfortunately the music industry does very much work in like you need to have a look as well as the skill set but also who knows if Phineas even wanted to be like the front person of a project at that time and so it's like if Billy has a good voice and Billy works with her brother and he's helping hone that skill set why does that make her an industry plant <laughs> you know it's like that's why A&R reps have existed throughout history it's like they show up at a dive bar find some teens who are trying to make it and they're like there's something here let's nurture this and help it because that's what the music industry technically exists to do is to nurture artists who haven't been able to figure out how to do it on their own or maybe don't want to do it on their own and gives them the opportunity to have success because I mean most of the people need music to like uh, not survive that's aggressive but like you know like we need music in the world so I just feel like it's like any conspiracy theory where it's like they try and make it darker than it really is. And I also think something that makes tramp stamps like Because it feels like a lot to be like, the internet is like dogpiling on this band, but they really just keep digging themselves deeper. And then they put out a statement acknowledging all of this discourse. And the statement was, it was like a notes app apology, but it wasn't an apology. It was like a manifesto. And (laughs) it was just like insulting everybody. And it was like, if they'd come out and apologized I don't think it would have absolved them of like writing a song like I'd rather die with very Mm -hmm. coercive lyrics or of like all that stuff but it would have at least maybe helped people get a little respect for them back but I feel like they've just completely shot themselves in the foot I mean, it's the same thing where I was thinking, because there was another video that I saw on TikTok of somebody being like sitting at their computer and just the song keep coming into their head because it very much was an earworm. Like it, it wasn't a ba- like a bad, badly produced song or whatever. And I was like, oh, like they literally could have just said like, I'd rather die than date another misogynistic guy. It still fits within <laughs> the count that you need and it still would work. And you could have changed the second verse. Like there's options available to still sort of have the same message. I mean, that's literally what 
they mean by like a straight white guy. They mean a guy who's going to be mansplaining to you and using like not acknowledging their privilege or whatever. They don't mean any. They don't mean. I don't like know a, if they do mean that because I don't know if they. Well, I, like, I don't sm- know if they're like that far along in the conversation to understand <laughs> that like you know what I mean. Well, I think that that's what they were going. Well, I like, like the song that. is about sex, <laughs> and they have another song that's called "Sex with Me." Like that's literally the title. So I mean, like I like giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, but like I don't know that the thought process was fully. Well, yeah, I mean, if they were like actually doing what they were trying to be doing, that's what they would have been trying to mean, you know? There's just so much to like unpack there where it's like there there were options. Like there were like I don't fucking write songs and I figured that out. <laughs> like like there were there were choices made that didn't have to be made. But again, I think it's just really frustrating because they tried to commodify a genre and essentially a cult, like a subculture of people who are trying very much to not stand for that. Cause like, you know, like punk was very like anti-establishment, anti all the stuff and everything. They sort of did was establishment and again like you said they released a quote-unquote apology which was really just like a fuck you to everyone and it's like i feel like in this regard it's not even like a we're sorry it's like a we are acknowledging that we fucked up like i want like an acknowledgement that you did something that was questionable rather than like oh we're so sorry because that's fucking stupid because that's just like pandering or I don't know because I feel like they wouldn't apologize you, it's like because I feel like they don't think they have anything to be sorry for and it's just like okay you don't need to a- acknowledge that you should be sorry because you did fuck up it's like just acknowledge that you fucked up and be like hey we're aware of this maybe we'll fix it or maybe we'll just do it but but it's also the whole like we're not industry plants scenario of it where that's what they kept doing is they kept being like we we have no backing like we created our own record label we did this we did that and we're like everything you're stating that you've done is because there's some sort of money involved so where is that coming from you can't tell me that as young like as youngsters that you just have this money to start a record label and do all this on your own so I just feel like there were so many questionable things that that fuck you note that they made very much just like dug them into a hole and I feel like negated even more of what they were trying to do I mean if they are songwriters and like I mean Paige at least has been doing this for a while it seems like the other two girls are a bit younger but like if they are writing songs and like getting Netflix like Paige writes a lot of songs for Netflix TV shows so mm-hmm. like they have money like I, I believe like they do have yeah. money and which like they could be self-funded but I'm like still how did nobody else listen to this song and be like hmm maybe this isn't it like nobody listened to this song like not even the music video people i think that's weird and then i also think that if they really were working with a record label i think somebody at the label would have been like let's market test this and see if this is what people really want i just feel like there had to been someone like along the way to be like hey maybe this isn't it i feel like people at labels are smarter than this where like they wouldn't do something this egregious like egregious to this level like the marketing the aesthetic sure but as far as like song lyrics go i don't know you know what i'm saying and i also feel like they're trying to do this in the name of sort of working off this assumption that punk is supposed to be irreverent and like anti-establishment and punk is supposed to just be a big like i'm angry at everybody but i don't think that is what punk is about like For me, Alice Bag is my fairy godmother of punk and her whole thing as a queer Chicana woman who came up in the 1970s in the LA punk scene, like her whole ethos is that punk isn't so much a style or like a type of music or about a leather jacket as much as it is about like making a space for like 
people who maybe don't fit in in other places to Mm -hmm. have a place of their own and that's both in terms of people feeling like they don't fit in just because they're like outcasts but also people who were in the 70s and queer I think punk isn't really like fuck you mom and dad but I think like they're creating a version of punk that isn't really what punk is or what punk fans enjoy I think also with like, I know Ash Nico is like on like a spectrum in and of itself, like uh, with her music, it doesn't really fit into any genre, I think like she's sort of pulling from everything. But I feel like Tramp Stamps, like there's somebody doing it already, you know, doing that whole like men kind of suck, I don't whatever, like with her like rendition of Skater Boy and all of these songs that she's putting out, like there's somebody already laying the footwork down to like what you can do if you want to make that kind of music. And it's like, why did you just not pay attention? Like Ashley goes right fucking there. So I just feel like when people are already doing something well, how can you not be paying attention? But I think also what Jenna said, that makes a whole lot of sense that I didn't even think of. It's like, I feel like no label is fucking stupid enough to allow <laughs> that to happen. Because even when there are controversial songs that come out I feel like they very much are not controversial in the way that this was controversial but I think it's just that confusing thing where it's like they're so polished and put together and there was so much money put into it that it's like something it's kind of like they wanted to look like it's kind of like they are actually like creating it themselves but they're like we want to look like industry plants we want to create a conspiracy theory around us like I might be giving them too much fucking credit but I mean when you put it into the perspective like Jenna said it's like okay if they have all that songwriting money coming in because I mean I've had friends who were like in bands that never succeeded and just went on to be songwriters and like are living it up in LA you know there's a lot of money in that so it's like yes now that you've mentioned that it is that weird thing where like maybe they are just doing it on their own and they're like okay we know how to like cause a stir but I feel like they caused the stir in the wrong way because now I think that this is going to cause it so that it very much seemed like they wanted to be faces. They didn't just want to be faceless people in the background writing songs. They wanted people to know who they were. And I feel like now they've sort of sullied themselves to a degree where at least they're going to have to like go into influencer hiding for two years instead of become the influencers that they thought they were going to be with this project. Yeah, I think you made some good points. And also you mentioned that their production it sounds really good. And I think that goes back to the fact that they are all songwriters. Like they mm-hmm. know how to write good music. I think that's part yeah. of it. Like it doesn't sound DIY because they mm-hmm. have so much experience. Yeah. There's just like, there's so much there. And I think that we could have the Tramp Stamps discourse for literal hours because there is so much there. But I think also it's just important again, because there have been so many times throughout history of just sort of people trying to discredit women doing things and just artists doing things. I think that it is important just to sort of discuss for at least a little while some other artists like throughout the history and the discourse of the whole industry plant idea to just bring them into the conversation a little bit more. Because I think looking back with what tramp stamps think they're doing it's hard to not think of like the runaways because the runaways were just like teenagers plucked up who were very skilled musicians but like that band was created but again like this is in the era before the internet so like people can't do the discourse and be angry in the same way that people can now but because they were women and they are 
teenage girls <laughs> like doing something that was number one changing history and also just making men mad there was just a lot of discourse about them being fakes and being phonies and people being mad about it but I think that like they did what tramp stamps thought they were doing but like in a good way you know <laughs> I mean the runaways are also like it's a situation where they were formed by a male music executive it is another situation of like women being promised fame and fortune by men in the music industry and that it's like a similar situation to what Kesha went through well so they got put together in 1975 and they were young Sherry Curry was like 15 or 16 and Joan Jett they were like the same age and so I don't have an issue with the fact that they were put together. I more so have an issue with the fact that it was very much like him sexualizing them, even though they were like literal teens. And he kept saying like, jailbait, jailbait, this is perfect, like all this stuff. So there is like that very disgusting side of it. But he also kind of like trained them to be into this like punk ethos of like, Mm -hmm. you have to play with the boys. Like you need to get in their faces. You need to be rough. You need to be loud. And I think, you know, that kind of shaped them into being able to, I mean, Joan Jett going on to be like a literal one of the most famous women in punk, you know? Yeah, I I mean, there's so much going on there. And I think that there was so much like nefarious stuff going on behind the scenes with that band. I mean, there were members that switched, like switched out and came back and that sort of thing. And they didn't last very long because there was all that sort of drama because also like Kim Valley like tried to pit, pit them against each other, sort of being like, oh, like you want the male attention, you want these things. And so there was so much going on there that I think also because it was so nefarious of what was going on and like different memories of what was going on and different conversations like if in the future from like when they started to like now of like what happened that I think also it sort of gets forgotten how much they did do for like women in that realm of music and I think that that's also sort of why people are like oh like that was all fake it wasn't real like blah blah it's like they're 15 like just because this creepy man is the one telling them about punk doesn't take away the fact that they resonated with it and became that like that's when you become who you are when you're like a teenager to that degree so I feel like again it's just any chance to discredit women for finding a footing in something that isn't quote unquote made for them and I think that it takes away from a lot of it and I just felt like there were these like weird parallels between what Tramp Stamps thought they were doing and what the Runaways actually had been doing because the Runaways weren't trying to cater to like teen girls they were trying to cater to punks whereas Tramp Stamps took that same thing and they were like we're gonna cater to teen girls like within this sort of culture but like on the periphery of it and so it's it's just that interesting thing of like Tramp Sam's being like this was never done before and it's like have you heard of the Runaways because they are the industry poster child for what people know you are and think they were and then Amanda you had also brought to our attention about the discourse around the police which I find very interesting because like they're not obviously they're not women but it is the same sort of scenario of people doing something else in the music industry coming together and doing something more so all of the members of the police uh i think when the band formed they were all in their late 20s and they have been in some other bands that were like moderately successful but not really bands that we still remember today like the police and they all kind of came together because they were like oh well like maybe if we all work together then we have a shot at success 
And they recorded their first album in like a really shabby studio with like egg cartons on the wall and like very like 80s punk. And one of the band members' brother was working in music and he heard them playing Roxanne and he was like, that's a good song. I'm going to take that to this record label. And then they got signed off of the song Roxanne and... Mm -hmm. Now, of course, like everybody knows that song, but so people sort of were like, are the police an industry plan? And like, I would argue that they're not because it wasn't like a big record executive was like, okay, Sting, meet these other two guys. It was like, they had an advantage in that one of the band members' brother had connections with the record label and that certainly helped them get noticed off of that one song. But it's not as though they weren't grinding before then trying to make it. It's always funny in those senses where like, we've said this a couple times already, but it's like, if you're not having success and you want to have success, like people shouldn't be mad at you because you found other people who were like the best person in their band. And we're like, Hey, all of our bands collectively suck, but all of us together would probably make the best band ever. (laughs) And like, yeah. Like you can't blame people for wanting to make money when you need money to survive. (laughs) I was, I was literally just about to say, I just think it's funny that this conversation keeps going back to like, they were just put there for the industry to make money. And it's like, we live in a capitalist society. Like, are (laughs) you mad? Are you mad that somebody is making money? Like (laughs) if they can make money and have savings and not be living paycheck to paycheck, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Don't be mad at Billie Eilish. Be mad at like Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just those funny things where it's like, we have these like random artists who will be picked up from like YouTube or Vine or whatever, like fucking Shawn Mendes was on Vine. But it's like, we had like Cameron Dallas, who was like a blip in like the pop culture zeitgeist and like Jacob Satorius and like all these random like J14 sort of names of people who have their five minutes of fame. They're not that great, but they get fans because they're like cute boy or whatever. Yeah. And nobody is yelling about Jacob Satorius. I could go off about why this talentless child should not have success for hours but it's the same thing with like lauren gray or these just random pretty teenagers with like mediocre singing voices who are very much the epitome of an industry plant because it's just somebody sees someone who is good looking likes singing and is like we have auto-tune you have a fan base let's make money you know and then we have someone like lord who yes got signed very young and all that stuff and there's all that discourse around her about like oh she's an industry plant like where did she come from and it's like she's from New Zealand she's from the middle of nowhere but like there's nothing nefarious about finding somebody with a skill set and giving them the building blocks to create a career you know like that's how everything really works in the grand scheme of things and it's like the music industry is a is an industry it is a business and like from the start of it as we already said like they're just finding people with talent and giving them access and giving them like access to studio access to producers access to people who have like anything that can help them create a career because number one the music industry needs money number two people need music because we do and there's so many things where it's like there there is a supply and demand chain in this thing and it's not this like nefarious thing but again as I said like in naming these random like G14 buzzy people these are boys and nobody's having discourse about them like I haven't seen a single article people being like 
who is Cameron Dallas? Why is he a singer? You know, like he had a Netflix special, but then Billie Eilish is doing like creating incredible music and being very like, I, I say this a lot, but being very much just like a human, like she's just a person. Like Billie Eilish isn't trying to hide who she is. And yet people are like, oh, her brother writes her song. She was signed when she was 13 out of nowhere, like with fake music, not made by her. And it's like, who cares? Like, why does that matter? And it's because she's a girl. And that's what's so makes me so angry about it. Yeah. Good essay, Sarah. Thanks. <laughs> In this TED talk, I will. <laughs> I kind of feel like we're at a good point to, to wrap it up and say like, is industry plant a real thing? Because I personally don't believe it is. Like after this conversation, I don't think it's a real thing. I think it's a conspiracy. <laughs> All right. I don't want to say conspiracy. I just think it's a thing people made up to like make something nefarious when it's not. I think industry plants don't quite exist in the way we think that they do like I genuinely don't believe that tramp stamps was like Dr. Luke and his executives sitting around a table like what will he do today to make money off of the teens yeah, but like yeah. I think like when people say industry plant I imagine like boardroom meeting people mm-hmm. like trying to come up with what's gonna sell and I don't yeah. think that quite happens I think obviously yeah. it does happen that people have connections and use them. But I think I only really take fault with that in a situation like Tramp Stamps where they're using it to like promote this kind of half-baked feminism that doesn't really help women at all. A hundred percent. Because I mean, we've said in past episodes about how like, oh, there'll be like, a space in the market. There'll be room for somebody like Justin Bieber or a One Direction or something because something like that hasn't come up. So obviously there are those because it's not like these people aren't having business meetings. Like they're going and being like, oh, we haven't had like a male pop star like shoot but off also, for a while. <laughs> also, no one's like One Direction was an industry plant when like they absolutely were, if you believe in the word. <laughs> Like, that, yeah. like one direction is literally like planted by the industry definition by def- yeah. you know every boy man pretty much by definition so it's just like nobody's mad about <laughs> calling them industry. but i think it's also just because they people dismiss them so much anyways for being a thing for fangirls that like yeah they don't even give them enough time to like criticize them in that way i also want to clarify because like there are some things that tramp stamps is like advocating for with like their label being called like make tampons free like i agree with that i think it would be great if like healthcare was available available widely to everybody but it feels like the way they're doing it it like it would be cool if like a portion of their proceeds were going toward like helping people who can't afford birth control or like menstrual products have access to it or like it just it feels very half-baked because it feels like they're saying it because it's edgy to be like yeah like we have periods yeah but not actually do anything about it yeah yeah I think very much like when you're gonna make your brand something fucking stick with it you know because I feel like there even are questionable people just like famous people who are like doing the wrong thing but like trying to do the right thing but they're still just like I'm donating the money from this stupid thing I did to someone good whereas Jameson's are like nah nah we're just gonna tell you to fuck off so there's just like a lot to unpack but I mean in regards to the industry plant idea I think like Amanda said it's not what people think it is I think that there is the degree as I said where there are these artists like Lauren Gray who just exist because they're pretty and like singing and their songs have really no substance there's no there's nothing to it they just exist for money and I think that there's nothing wrong about it but I think that there is something wrong when you 
you use it to discredit somebody who is doing so much a la Lord or Lana Del Rey, where it's like, it's not like they're doing anything wrong. They're writing their own songs. They have genuine fans who care about their music and their existence isn't a cash grab. Like, I feel like most of the people, when people have the discourse of industry plant, again, as I keep saying, is just used to discredit talented women for no fucking reason and act as if like, oh, they're just here for money for the label to make money off of them. And it's like, no, no, like, I'm sure that Lana Del Rey would still be trying if like she hadn't been signed because like music is in her like ethos, you know, so there's just so much there and it's so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, have you considered the fact that Lord is good? (laughs) That's my thesis of the episode. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for uh, letting me put my endless research on tramp stamps to good use instead of me just scrolling on Instagram. (laughs) And if people want to follow up and find more from you, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at asilbwrites. I am on amandasilberling.com. And I have a podcast called Wow If True, which is about internet culture and memes. And we interview people who go viral and talk about what that's like. So if you're fascinated by TikTok and stuff like that, that's a great place for you. Awesome. I love it. That was a super fun conversation. I know. It really I feel like we say this every time, but like that truly was really fun. Yeah. It's just funny because before we recorded, Jenna was like, are you going to mention Josie and the Pussycats? And I'm like, wow, I've done so well. <laughs> Because I feel like this whole thing was very much like if Josie the Pussycats was like a horror movie, this is what would have happened. Oh my god. Like that meme where it's like, I'm going to tell my kids this was Josie and the Pussycats, but it's like the <laughs> Tramp Stamps. Literally. literally. It's like DuJour means industry plan. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's there's just so much going on there. And I just love that Amanda was like, yeah, I don't even have TikTok. And I had to research every possible thing that happened here. The dedication. I love it so much. But also I feel, not to pat us on the back, but to pat us on the back, I feel very proud of us that in critiquing them, we did not say any of the shitty things that I thought people were doing. Because <laughs> I feel like it would have been so easy to accidentally be like, they were just pumpkin spice latte pop punk. Because that's what a lot of people were doing. Yeah. Um, and it just made me well, angry. I think we learned from the other people who said that. And we were like, that's not that's not the take we want to be having here. Yeah, because I don't know. It was just so frustrating, like, watching all those TikToks and being like, you guys are so close to not being assholes. That's also rude to Poppy and Spice Latte Girl. <laughs> Like, I, I look, I looked at their Instagrams, like I scrolled back and I'm like, they don't give me that vibe at all. They're just like slightly alternative, like pop girls, but like, ugh. it was very much more like wanting to be Lana Del Rey vibes. So it just was, I don't know. There was just so much internalized misogyny and, and that the huge problem with the whole conspiracy in and of itself is just to discredit ladies, which is yep. not fun. Never fun. <laughs> and, and also the police. <laughs> And and also Chance the Rapper and most hip-hop artists. There's so much discourse, which is also really interesting, which I think that if you guys like this episode and me, do ever talk about industry plants again, just to dive a bit into what the discourse is more in depth around the hip-hop and rap community, because there is so much trying to discredit there, which I I didn't really understand, because I mean, I don't understand how you can look at Chance the Rapper and be like, that man is an industry plant. And it's like, he had like seven mixtapes before people knew who he was, but go off. Yeah. (laughs) So if you guys have any thoughts or feelings 
feelings about tramp stamps or industry plants in general, or if you have an artist that you feel like people have written off as a fraud, let us know. Cause I feel like there's a lot to be said here. So yeah, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. We are at name three songs on all social media platforms. If you are secretly a Jacob Satorius fan and want to have words, you can come at me personally at Sarah underscore Fagan. Um, and if you'd like to tell Jenna how wonderful she is, you can do that at Jenna underscore million. <laughs> wow. Thanks so much. <laughs> And as always, if you'd like to get any bonus content or just give us a tip for our time, you can do that at patreon.com slash name three songs or paypal.me slash name three songs. Thanks for joining us this week on Name Three Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Harry Styles. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit namethreesongs.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.